Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and wellness. We are so glad you're listening. Finding truth in the digital era can be a bit of an odyssey. Despite having more access to information than any other group of people in human history, getting the facts straight often requires a little bit of legwork. Today, we're going to be talking about information, misinformation, disinformation, and how to find the truth beyond our own assumptions. Here to talk about all this are Michael McCord, Lindsay Geist, and Evan DeYoung. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone podcast. I'm Evan DeYoung, and I'm joined most weeks by Lindsay Geist and Michael McCord. And good news, this week I am joined by them both. We are all back together again and so happy to be here invading your eardrums. Lindsay, Michael, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I, I do think it's actually our second episode since we were we missed Lindsay. So so it's it's good to know that we can maintain this we relationship. We're still back together. Long, yeah. Still back together. <laughs> we are once again still back together. <laughs> See, I think he was trying to mislead us with that information, pretending as if there was another episode that existed that we weren't in. Ah. Uh, oh. Good transition. <laughs> that's a good that's a good transition because this week we are going to be talking about misinformation and disinformation and incorrect information and the role that it plays in our lives and broader society so Lindsay is ready to just uh, explain it all away michael and i are going to sit quietly and be supportive and <laughs> I'm going to explain it all. I will give you all the answers and do the rest of the episode right. by myself, clearly. Hold on, folks. We're <laughs> going to solve geopolitical conflict right now, too. All right. Go ahead. You have um, 25 uh... minutes. The floor is yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Misinformation is when we get the facts wrong. This could be false or inaccurate information. And misinformation um, most often is something that happens uh, accidentally or not maliciously. Um, think of misinformation kind of like uh, if you're if you're playing the game telephone and actually trying to play it, not trying to throw the game, but trying to play it and see if you can get the same message around the whole group. And you hear something and you think you hear it one way. And so then you share that information. That is an example of misinformation. Disinformation is when there is false information that is deliberately intended to mislead. So you intentionally misstate facts. And that is when often somebody's trying to push an agenda um, or a story or a concept and use, uh, kind of twist some of the facts along the way uh, to mislead people. So let me give an example, see if this is, this, if I understand this correctly. Okay. When I was in high school, my older brother spoke with somewhat of a British accent. <laughs> and I had... <laughs> I had what? a friend. It's, it's, Wait no, a we can't just I'll move. Just... We can't Did he just wake up one day that. and just right. like have a British so accent? One he, he still has it. He sang at the Atlanta Boy Choir. This is he says that he uh, picked up this accent trying to is singing with the, the, the Boy Choir. So anyway, that that is just that is a fact. It's just a fact. This is not any misinformation or disinformation. But in high school, I had a friend call my house. This is back when we had landlines, you know, those phones that you plugged into the wall and people called them. And and my brother answered in his British accent and didn't identify himself. And the person was saying, you know, it's Michael there. And he's like, he's like, uh, no, he is not here today. May I take a message? And and then so he has okay. that kind of British accent. Oh, it's, it's just it's just it's ridiculous. So it's not it's so not much now like random it's, words. It's, it's, it's like Full-blown British It's full-blown. Full-blown. Like, full-blown. That's it's, like it is a really, Cleese. Like... It's, it's like a... <laughs> it, it's a mix of... It's a mix of accents together. But in, in any case, next day I'm at school, I start hearing these rumors that Michael is wealthy, that I have been keeping it a secret, <laughs> that I'm probably a millionaire. 
And I've just been, I've been hiding this from everybody. And I have no idea what's going on, right? I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, what is the deal with this? And then finally, one of my friends said, have you heard this going around? I was like, yeah. I was like, what is it all about? I said, someone, someone talked to your butler yesterday. That is That's hilarious. an example of misinformation, right? The person called my house, misidentified my brother as my butler. Uh, they tell that story. The room gets out that Michael is a millionaire. And has a butler. And, uh, you know, that's great. I wish that were true. (laughs) Disinformation. Disinformation would be if I told people I had a butler. Yes. To try to get them to think that I'm, in fact, wealthy. When in reality, it's just my brother. Right? So the difference between miss and dis is that there's some intentionality about trying to manipulate what people think about me or about a system or about somebody else. Right? Does that work? You have the best (laughs) stories from growing up. Sometimes I'm like, so I, I wonder how things like that happen to you. So, so your brother still speaks with a bit of a British accent. Did it like evolve over time, or did it like show up one morning? Like he woke up. It and evolved over. I mean, literally, when we were so he did not want a southern accent. We we grew up in Georgia, and he did not want a southern accent. He wanted something distinct. And then he sang in the Atlanta Boy Choir, where they would make you speak properly, and and then sing properly and everything. And so they traveled together around the world and stuff like that. He did that for years. And so that's how he claims he kind of picked this up was this attempt to speak clearly and properly. And then it just manifested itself in this thing that he still is that way today. And and when I speak to him on the phone, I start to pick it up too, because I'm a three and I just emulate whoever I'm talking to. But um, yeah. this is anyway. wild. My sister gets a British accent when she asks questions. The inflection at the end of the question always sounds really British, um, and we have no idea where it came from. Uh, so, the question so is... Ironically, though, they they say, linguists have said, and some posit, that the Southern accent came from, like, the British aristocracy. So he, like, went back to their old... We're just reclaiming our roots, you know? Okay, yeah. So anyway... Misinformation. I know this isn't really something that affects us today anymore. This is like a historical nod that we're doing today to look back and remember the days when people use social media to share incomplete or inaccurate information to try to sway how they see and think and view the world. I, I know this is like old and not relevant anymore, but I mean, wow, can you believe well, people do this? Well, I think we've talked about this before, and I think it's important to restate and revisit. I think for a, for me personally, and for a lot of folks, they thought that the reason that individuals were not informed was a lack of access to information. Uh, and that when we got the internet, people would be able to access more information, and then we would be more informed, and that information would be more widespread and accurate. And what we have found is that that is maybe for some folks true, but for most of us, we're not willing to put in the time to verify information anyways. Mm-hmm. I wonder, though, if it if it was, in fact, true for a while. Like, I think that, you know, as as information became more available via the Internet, I think people did have access to a lot more, could make better informed decisions. But then as as human ingenuity is and does, we some people realized, hey, I can share information that's slightly different than the real information and get a bigger bang for my buck, uh, namely, you know, advertisers and clicks and those sorts of things. So if we if we tweak this just a little bit, even if it's about just shifting what your headline, if it's the same story but you change the headline to something that's a little bit more fantastic, you'll get the click rate and you'll get the monetization of that information. And that's really where I think you really got to see misinformation, disinformation really arise on the internet. And this, this flood of information is when it became commoditized and people could make money off of telling lies in essence. Michael, what would you say is the difference between, and maybe it's a fine line, disinformation and spin 
Well, I think there's yeah, I think spin. I would think, and maybe Lindsay, as our expert here, could could correct me in this journey. But <laughs> spin expert is in what? <laughs> yeah, can you make sure and make sure to define it? She's she's an expert in social things, social okay. working. Yeah, <laughs> social working. Yes. <laughs> Uh, um, spin is taking an event a story and sharing it through your particular lens so i mean the greatest example i mean an example that i use in small groups is like if you put like a if i were to put this this glass uh, a, a glass in front of us this one's pretty symmetric so it's it's going to look pretty same for you guys on your side as it is for me but but when i look at it i'm only going to see a portion of it and i'm going to see it the way i see it through my eyes and my experience and my lens um and that is my vantage point and yours is slightly different when we put those things together we can see a, a real a fuller image right but spin is only taking your vantage point and and spinning it so that everyone can see just your vantage point. So when you read a story and you're like, uh, it's about some, it's about, I could be about anything, right? And conservatives see it one way, liberals see it another way, independents a third way. And then each of those groupings of people want to tell the story from the way they see it. Uh, one of the great examples of that we see in, in for example, newspaper is uh, you'll find that a lot of times when a, a violent crime is committed, almost any crime is committed, if it is a minority person, they're usually indicated that they're minority. Mm-hmm. So African-American male, age 28, does this. If they are white, often there's no indication of their race. So that's its own form of 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 spinning the story so that you see that crimes are mostly committed by people of color. Because if you have that fundamental belief, that's your view, the way you see the world, then you want to tell the story. Every story you see, you're going to tell it through that lens that, yep, see, see, here, here's another example of a person of color committing a crime. And, and so that that kind of spinning now, and you do that intentionally over and over again, and you begin to manipulate the story more and more, that's when you get into disinformation, when you want to sh- change the storyline to really say, you know, in hyperbolic ways, this is how this happens. Does that does that seem reasonable to you, Evan? Lindsay, master of social working? <laughs> it, I think it does make sense. Um, I mean, I hear the word spin and think of it kind of as a PR term, oftentimes, of how can we spread a narrative um, or tell it from a certain perspective. I've been sitting here thinking about mis and disinformation and the differences and kind of how it even starts and maybe i'm naive and i and i will own that part maybe i like see the good in everybody um from off the bat both of you are nodding your heads like yeah that's you um i think a lot of times things start with misinformation and then move into disinformation I think mm. sometimes people start like um, fumbling over a few facts or they only hear s- certain things or remember something one way, share it in a slightly innocent way. Um, you know, still trying to share why it's important to them or what they heard. Um, but I don't think that it is like maliciously leaving things out or deliberately leaving things out and emphasizing things. We just, Things that matter to us, we remember more. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if a well, lot of things happening starts with misinformation. And then when it moves into disinformation is when we get some information that doesn't match our schema and what we want things to look like or imagine it to look like. And then we have to reject it or, you know, uh, change things and use more disinformation to say why our previous thought wouldn't have been wrong. Mm. 
So the maintaining the lane is more important than responding to the environment around you. Right. And so that's where I wonder, again, there are plenty of people that want to push their own agendas, but I also wonder how much we start with misinformation and then move into disinformation rather than having to modify our own understanding Mm. or stance or what we said. Right. Well, and I go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say I was nodding because you do see the best in people, not because you're naive, Lindsay. (laughs) Well, thanks for clarifying that. I I appreciate that. I think perhaps both things could be true at the same time. I think there are people (laughs) who who honestly fall into it and and, and it starts out of from a place of uh, of misunderstanding that's, you know, that that you um you're somehow maybe you're taught you're taught that that cats are cats are evil cats are going to probably take over the world you're told this as a kid you you believe it All and true. then which is true nobody wants a cat in these days <laughs> um, but but if you if you believe that if you think that then you start to read stories about cats and you can spin it through that lens that you have and that's a sense of misunderstanding and 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 when you share that information it's misunder it's misinformation that you're sharing then something called confirmation bias kicks in where you are you you believe certain thing and you start reading stories in your social media accounts or in news stories that confirm that cats in fact are evil so you start collecting more and more stories about how evil cats are and how they're taking over the world. And so you've begun you've begun to believe more and more and more that there's all this evidence that exists in the world that shows that cats, in fact, are evil and about to take over the world. And so then you start to share warnings and postings that tell people you've got to get rid of cats because cats are terrible and they're taking over the world. And that's how I think you see the normal human move from a place of sort of misunderstanding and to misinformation, to, to actively disinforming people, to try to convince them of this information that they've learned. I've seen it in all kinds of, I've seen it in my, my you know, people in my parents, my mom's friends groups and my family and around certain facets of news or information. And they, they believe something. And the thing about it is social media is designed to feed you confirmation bias it's designed if you go you know Mm -hmm. this because if you mention like right now i'm going to say i really want a new litter box for these evil cats so that just would lure them in and now now on facebook i'm probably going to get ads for litter boxes because it listens to us specifically for evil cats for evil cats so i'm going to get these demonic Mm -hmm. looking litter boxes feeding my face. I can't wait. Please screenshot right? and show us what ads get fed to you. And, and, and so the, the, the genius of it, like, so if you're really searching for a product that you want, like you need, like Evan needs a new pair of AirPods and he needs to start looking for that. The beauty of social media and in online marketing is that it can show him the latest deals and opportunities to get new, new some kind of new wireless AirPods. And, and, so that's helpful, right? But in the misinformation, disinformation world, where you can tune your social media accounts to give you exactly what you want, and then you start to believe that millions of people all over the world, the whole world agrees with you that cats are evil, and then you get into this spend cycle and disinformation cycle where you're trying to convince people of this information that you have. And literally nothing and no one can counter your point because you've accumulated such a robust, you know, pool of resources that confirm your your belief about cats right so that see how like it it cycles but then you have the bad actors that we'd certainly experienced during election cycles where outside individuals want to harm our system and actively make money off of sharing disinformation about people running for office about politics about economics all kind all manner of things right so those are people who make money off of this and gain power off of it and i think that's a different breed of disinformer if you will i was struck by um kind of starting to think about where this emerges in our lives and i think this is a topic that comes up often around politics but 
it is one that has been inside like families and friendships for a long time and in society it happens inside our churches um it is amazing how how we even talk not even just inside one denomination um and we can talk about the united methodist church right now and what is fact or not but i also think that it comes back to like how do we talk about other denominations um that there is misinformation and disinformation about like oh well catholics don't believe catholics aren't christian because they don't believe x y and z or mormons are not christian or they're crazy because you know that they believe blah 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 and my guess is is that most of that stuff is not actually true that is being spread around um it is people hearing bits and pieces of things and then claiming that everybody the whole denomination believes this thing um instead of actually going back to the facts and talking to somebody about it this is sounds very typical to being in elementary school and middle school mm-hmm. and high school and i think i kind of have to remind myself that a lot of those things don't just go away when you are out of your teenage years what really can happen is that we just learn how to better disguise or hide them mm. So we know we know how not to be openly rude, but we still like to live in to our assumptions about other folks. It reminds me of uh, Mean Girls, the movie with Tina Fey and Lindsay Lohan, <sighs> and they have the burn book, right? I mean, it's uh, they have this book where movie. they collect these facts about. Oh yeah, why? It's too I disharmonious. The, I it it's it too like real? hurts me at my core. I think that it feels too real. And it just, I mean, I'm not saying that I was like bullied in that way, but it feels too real of minor experiences that I and other women I know have had over their lifetime, that there's something about Mean Girls, that it's almost everybody else's favorite movie, and you cannot like pay me enough money to sit down and watch it these days. (laughs) So sorry, Tangent. I feel almost as strongly about that as I do about New Year's resolutions. I, I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I, I feel like you're getting triggered in the same way you were when we had the resolution talk. Y'all have, y'all have found a couple of my hot button issues. New Year's well, resolutions mo- and Mean Girls. <laughs> the movie just nails it. I mean, it does. It It, it is. Uh-huh. It, it It's obvious and it's uncomfortable, but it's familiar and relatable all at the same time, which is the hallmark of a really good story. So I I think that probably reinforces the fact that it's a little too good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is it is interesting how gossip in school uh often starts again there's some disinformation that happens. Uh but a lot of times it's mis information that it starts with like believing that you saw somebody talking to somebody else oh i'm they're mad at so and so and then you start spreading that information because that's the perception and conclusion you have come to um which is not always true and then all of a sudden there's people in a fight and it's you know like you know separate gangs like the west side story uh people being mad at each other here we are with another musical illustration. Two musicals in a row. I love it. Love it. I love it. <laughs> oh goodness, y'all! We need to culture y'all, and you need to see more musicals. Uh, yeah, no, I've, you're, seen, you're, I've <laughs> seen it. I, yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. We just haven't memorized the songs. It's God. Like, <laughs> I, listen, I'll walk toward. I'll walk towards the screen, snapping if that's what you need from me. <laughs> yes, that's what I remember. Thinking of school, that's where I watched oh, it. In school. So, so my question yep. oh, go ahead. is, Sorry. Michael, my question is, uh, what were you about to say? 
I got well. I was, so so if you think about human beings as like big sense makers, in essence, that's what we're doing all the day long is trying to take all this information that we receive, whether that's through our eyes or all of our senses, whether it's uh, information that we read or listen to, and we're trying to assimilate it in a way that makes sense inside of our brains because we do, we like order. Humans like to order. We like to make sure that we fit into that order and that it makes sense for us and. And so we take information, and if that information is partially true or incomplete or you don't quite understand it, then your your brain goes into gear to try to make sense of that. And so you take your past experiences and and thoughts and, and relationships, and you create a storyline that takes that information and makes sense of it. Now, if you think about when you're in, in middle school, you've only had you know, 12, 13, 14 years, but really only about 10 years or – six to 10 years of mem- memory that you that you have to draw from to really make sense of some complex things. You start to learn stuff about your identity and your friend's identity and their backgrounds and all this stuff just doesn't work anymore. And you just, you're grasping from experience to try to put that together. And so that's why you can imagine middle schoolers and uh, in, in high schoolers as, as you, young and young adults, they come up with these fantastic stories which are to try to Fantastic, just in the sense that they're crazy, <laughs> not that they're great. Uh, they're just crazy. So these fantastical stories about people and situations because they're trying to make it make sense to them. Now, what? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I have an example. Yeah. A friend of ours, uh, they were driving and their child very sweetly goes, kind of trying to understand traffic laws and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I think there's a way that kids spend enough time with you. They pay attention to things. And she goes, so, mommy, the yellow light means that we go faster. <laughs> That's right. Because you observe behavior. Yeah, <laughs> Not that, always. That's a perfect example. You know, kids are like soaking all this stuff in and trying to understand it. And they, they got these little data points and they put that together. You know, and that just it cultivates a human, and it's it also that's what you might call someone's worldview over time. That they their set of experiences and exposures and relationships and community that's taught them to see the world in a certain way. And and what we don't like, what's most uncomfortable for us, is when we are presented with a, a place where we're wrong, where our worldview is not right. That the history and the story and the people and experiences that we've had have misinformed us. And we no longer fit. And, and that's why you see such a, a strong resistance to to people changing their minds, because somehow changing your mind mm-hmm. means that you were wrong and we don't like to be wrong. OK, so if I wanted to. Interact with this personally with my life, so yeah, I let's say, do it. OK, let's I, do it right now. I want to recognize I want to recognize misinformation and disinformation and i can't change national narrative right as much as social media would have me believe that it's important that i contribute online to change social narratives and national narratives uh where do i start how do i start to identify this how do i vet the information what do i do with the information that crops up that isn't consistent with what I've experienced, but I, I I need to evaluate it and vet it. Right. Like here's a perfect example, Lindsay. Today we read a story. Well, I was the Weather Channel. I was looking at the weather this morning, and it said two volcanoes erupt in Russia. And my eight-year-old son is like, "Man, do you think that's happening? So that'll take Putin out of power?" So this is my, this is my eight year old's rationalization of volcanoes erupting in Russia. <laughs> so how how we, do you help? We don't do you help we don't reorient? pour baking soda into them <laughs> and cause them to go off ourselves. How do you reorient somebody in a situation like that? He really believes, sincerely believes that maybe this would help get Putin out of power. So how these kind of like big ideas that don't necessarily someone someone comes across. How do you test that to see if it's true and real for someone? That's what I asked you guys. <laughs> I'm asking Lindsay. She's... 
triangulation keeps happening. Evan asks, Michael then re-asks it, and then it comes to me. Um, I can talk about some misinformation and disinformation changing my worldview real quick while you guys think, because I don't know about you, but holiday ads are in full swing. Santa Claus, Christmas, everything is in full swing when we're recording this episode. And I have started to notice a trend. And I want you guys to pay attention to it, and maybe we can report back on it. My worldview has changed because Fat Santa is out. Silver Fox Hot Santa is in. All these Santa ads that I'm seeing. Are you watching a lot of Hallmark movies lately? No, no. This is on national (laughs) television. Hot Santa is in. Fat Santa is out. It's about time. It's about time. Just a bunch of Anderson Coopers with beards running around. <laughs> Next year, we're going to be a clean-shaven Santa. We're gonna oh, goodness. Us, yeah, in a trim suit, oh. like a really trim, nice-fitting suit. Santa's going to come down the chimney, and you better have a protein shake ready. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And Peloton. There, re- there, really Peloton. Was, um, there really was a Hallmark movie of the day where they uh, decided that the actor in a movie playing santa they wanted to change it up and they're like let's not do traditional santa and so they gave them this like super stylish three-piece suit came out silver fox version so it must be a thing commercials hallmark santa is you heard it here first folks um santa is in (laughs) okay taking us back to uh away from hot santa to what we were talking about um I think what gets really complicated about misinformation and disinformation, and this is sort of answering your question, is it depends on who and where we're getting the information. If it is a place that we perceive that we trust or a person that we trust, we don't seem to do extra fact checking around it. And so we take that person at their word. What's complicated is that um, people, because we have access to the internet, everybody believes that they are a subject matter expert on every subject. Um, Like I know everything about law and could be an attorney myself right now um, because I can Google the answers. And then I believe that I know all the ins and outs. Um, And so people trust other people without figuring out, like, do they, what credibility do they have sharing the fact on this subject? So fact checking. How do you fact check? Again, I don't think there's a perfect way. Um, I. How do you fact? How do you. How do I personally. Yeah. Okay, Evan, okay. do you have a do you have an answer? Yeah, you you look them you look them straight in the eye. <laughs> Doyle Brunson poker style, and you say, "How do you feel about hot Santa?" <laughs> and depending on how they answer that question, you can tell a lot about a person. I think one question that I like to ask uh, when information is coming out, and I think research is and. And science is something that has to be vetted as well, right? I think that when we say the data says or research says, we probably don't ask enough questions at that point. We just say, oh, they must have researched it, which is why the concept of peer review is so important. And I think that peer review has uh, really been kind of, yeah, I think has been really belittled. Uh, So I, a great question to ask. Tell us what peer reviewed is. Okay, peer-reviewed, basically there's a group of people that get together and they go out onto a pier over a body of water. It's a platform that they use to (laughs) unload ships. (laughs) (laughs) And there's something about the water that gives them clarity. (laughs) Clearly, guys, we we are on vacation and we are recording this on vacation, so we're just in this... Like space. No, so I don't, even, I don't even know if it's vacation. I think that it's like holiday mode. Oh, I, that I call this vacation. leading into 
Oh, I'm like leading into just any sort of holiday the last six weeks. My brain's all, all over the place. Anyway, Evan, well, go for welcome it. Welcome to my world all the time. So, okay, peer review. An actual peer review definition. would be a group of people who have expertise on a subject, topic, or uh, area focus, and they will vet and, uh, not to use the term to define itself, they will review or evaluate the merits and credibility of the research, for example, and then they will then offer critiques, criticisms, and perspectives, which will shape that research. So you know, in theory, that folks who know what they're talking about, because you don't have the time to be a subject matter expert in everything, uh, have at least had their eyes on it uh, to be able to evaluate it. So, uh, so things being peer reviewed is important. It's the, it's a, same thing that you would do for anything else. If you think about you're doing a repair in your home or you want to get a second opinion from a doctor, the idea that one person does not have the perfect perspective on every situation and data set. Uh, I think for me, I also like to ask the question, who stands to gain from the results of this data mm -hmm. or who stands to gain from the way this story is being told? So both in terms of power, and in terms of money, I want to know how was this study funded and who funded it. Uh, if there's a politician, I want to know who is funding that person, who has donated to them, and what interest groups uh, are interested in that person. So it relies on a lot of transparency uh, to be able to vet that information. But I think I typically will follow money or power first to try and understand a perspective. That doesn't mean that the end result is incorrect or that the conclusions that are reached or the story that's being told is inaccurate. Uh, but if I'm going to be a discerning consumer of information, I think those things and understanding the potential motivations involved is going to be essential for any topic, even ones that fit my worldview or established paradigm. Okay. I think that's a reasonable approach, and I think it's probably wise to think about who gains from information being shared. I think that's very – it was very real during our election cycles, right? That's that's one of those places where people really stand to gain something by deliberately sharing uh, disinformation. It, I, I was thinking kind of like how I triage information, and one of the first steps is if, if – a, if a, take a news article that I read. If the new art, if the news article either too is is too perfectly fit to my way of thinking, then I'm going to question it more. In the same way that if it's if it's too disruptive of my way of thinking, so if somehow it's on the two ends. Like it's it, it's too much like me. I completely agree with everything in this article, or I completely disagree with everything in this article. Then those are places where there's probably misinformation lying, because because none of us really has everything right. We can't be subject matter experts on everything. And so one of the things that I do is that when I engage a story like that's at one of those ends in the newspaper world is there's a great uh, website called All Sides. Uh, I think it's really fascinating mm -hmm. to take a look at it's because so good. It, you, you get a, a, a left-leaning, right-leaning, and center news report on the same information. So cat is caught eating his family and which is just what's going to happen and you can read that from a left-leaning newspaper a right-leaning newspaper or a center-leading newspaper and and then you could see just just in the headlines alone you can see a usually a pretty stark difference in the way people experienced that story and so when you encounter something that's just too perfectly fit or doesn't fit at all that's a good place to just go and say hey what is the What's the world saying right now about this story that I've encountered? I think that's a really <clears throat> one of the helpful tools you have to sort of do some fact checking in a in a way that 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 helps you see the differences in how people interpret a story. I so I think about in the United Methodist Church um, how we kind of reconcile different topics. We have the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And we are able to. What are you to... talking, Methodist? 
we're able to rely on that to kind of use that as our synthesizer of um of what we feel about things so the wesleyan quadrilateral is scripture tradition reason and experience um scripture think of it in as kind of a visual scripture is the tabletop the thing that unites it all and then um tradition reason and experience are also involved for us to evaluate any information or topics through like what would the church say about you know let's pick anything controversial cats alcohol cats sexuality uh divorce all sorts of things like that that we can have lots of different opinions about it and that is a tool for us to come back to to say okay based on evidence in each of these categories how do we feel about it um so as i'm talking as we're talking about misinformation and disinformation the wesleyan quadrilateral kept popping into my mind and i also wondered what misinformation and disinformation was happening in the early church like thinking about when jesus was here what do you think was happening around town talking about jesus and the misinformation and disinformation that was happening and which do you think falls into which category yeah i i think the one of the comparisons that I see in the faith is in scripture itself. What is a biblical text? What is not? How do we determine the authenticity of documentation? And I think that Jesus, I surely had to deal with that, right? Uh, and the Pharisees tend to be the kind of sledgehammer that always brings it down, right? Uh, about the different ways of who Jesus was, what he wasn't, what he was actually doing compared to, you know, what he did. And, they, you know, they did a lot of fact finding too, though, right? Like the Pharisees, right? Okay, he healed a man on the Sabbath. Well, we got to do our research and make sure, right? Like they even did some fact finding. It just never left their worldview. But that's what Jesus challenged a lot was, hey, our worldview may not be perfect here. And you've got to have a different perspective than just the law to look at how we interface with God, which I thought was always interesting, but I it always makes me nervous that I relate more to the Pharisees than many other things in scripture. It kind of opens my soul bare a little bit about kind of who I am and how my brain works at first, but I'm glad that it's in there and those interactions that they have are very have been very formative for me. Uh, because I think that legalistic, rule-oriented, structure-oriented part of my brain and personality uh, really re relates to they're just hopefully trying to do their best in a lot of ways. They're, they were following what they knew to be true, uh, and then new information and realities presented themselves. So they struggle with what to do with that. And that seems to be a lot of what we're discussing. I'm, I'm glad you've realized it because... Lindsay and I, when we we're talking on Slack about the show before, we always refer to you as the Pharisee. So just, <laughs> I just, I think it's good that it's out there that you've taken on that identity too. It's really important. I'm going to get some, I'm going to get a Pharisee outfit as a historically accurate and show up on a Zoom call. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. So, yeah, I, I think you both present really interesting kind of ideas about about our faith story and you know the first thing i would say is that it is a story it's it's a narrative it's ongoing you know it's not it's not just captured in this this you know 30 years 33 years of someone's life it's not just in the story of the hebrew people it's 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 it's, it's ongoing it includes us in that story and so thinking about the historical part of our faith you know, just for the mere fact that when you think about the the scripture as we read it today, was first tor told orally for for generations. It, it just it was not written down. It was told in the form of stories, lots of stories told together, um, and then collected over time into these 
these bigger stories and then and then at some point canonized and uh into a a, a biblical text and then that text is translated multiple times uh, in order to get to a modern form of English today. And so that alone, the mystery of all that, that this 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 story that is us humans interacting with each other and with our creator is collected across generations of people, orally, then written, then translated, then interpreted, then tried to under make sense of it all in a world that's ever changing. And and so that places us in the reality that that we're always going to be making sense of our faith in context with where we're living. And that it's not just, you can't just simply open the Bible and turn to Exodus chapter three, and it's going to tell us how to deal with this particular, this particular scenario that we have uh, presented. In but no, what we're going to do is, is to your point, Lindsay, what, what we as Wesleyans uh, see a healthy way of approaching that is that we first to turn to scripture. Where, where have we seen people of our faith interacting with a scenario that's somewhat similar to this? Where can we find senses of truth and lines of, of story and, and idea that help us make sense of what's happening to us now? But we also want to turn to to our traditions as as people of faith. So what? how have people around us handled things like this before? You know, I think I was today with, with, with Austin. I... I I talked to him about because um, he he said he just wished someone would take Putin out, and and I was like, ah, oh, I just hate to you know, just the thought of us just killing people to try to fix things is probably not the best way to do things. And then we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, we've been Hitler. doing it for you know, forever. It doesn't it doesn't work, right? But but then we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer with him and and his and his work to 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 try to assassinate Hitler because they thought it was... Do you want to give a little backstory on Dietrich Bonhoeffer Dietrich, and Hitler? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, first of all, has a really cool name. That's what Austin said. And and that he was a theologian and and professor who who came to the realization, he was he was during the Hitler's time, that that a, a, a thorough like process of discerning whether it was theologically, morally appropriate for him to be part of a team uh, as a German to go and try to assassinate Hitler, to take him out of power... And given the, the 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 calamity of what Hitler was doing in the world and to Jews and to and to all kinds of individuals, um, that he found that it was it was probably morally upright and theologically uh, uh, the the best thing he could do in the circumstance, right? So so that's a form of tradition. We look back at someone else's decisions and how they handled something similar, and then you've got reason, which is our intellect. We're given this beautiful brain and these. These experiences and glimpses of knowledge and all that that we get to put together. So how do how does our brain interact with this, and how do we think through and make sense of and reason uh, the situation that we're in? And then finally, experience. Like how are we experiencing this challenge in the world, and what are the ramifications of that uh, in the society that we live in? So when you if when you encounter really difficult scenarios that somehow don't make sense to you in the world, and this is a tool that we sort of created. Albert Outler, I think, is actually the one who sort of mm -hmm. formed this together. Um, but it's it's a way of approaching uncertainty and misinformation and disinformation and try to make sense of it in a, in a healthy way. So you know you're being kind of conscientious about how you approach understanding this information. And I think the same kind of approach can be put in all all manner of things. Right? You don't have to just use scripture and reason, but if you're, you're basically saying – that take multiple points of view, examine the issue at hand, and see what holds up against it. And that is a way that we can discern whether what we're interacting with is true or not. I think for me in practice, uh, to, to get more personal and direct, I think admitting when things were incorrect or wrong has been a really big thing. I don't think that's easy to do. I think that a lot of conversations get approached with a lot of intensity and uh, they become more of a you versus me kind of debate. Uh, but holding on to information a little more loosely and with a little less intensity, and then as new information arises or as things change, I think giving the time to say, I actually need, I need to investigate that more. 
like I don't I don't know right now. I think we can know a little bit better. But then coming back to because most of the way this is going to play out is an interpersonal conversation. So work, friends, church, really. I mean, you know, it, we, we don't we'll get into some conversations with some strangers about different things. But I think interpersonally having that humility to be able to say, hey, I the way I was thinking about this wasn't quite right. There's some new information that's presented itself, or I've I've, I've learned more, or I've thought more, or God's changed my heart on this a little bit. But we don't see a ton of that. We, you know, we don't see a lot of kind of newspaper style corrections in our conversations that we have with our friends, family, and coworkers. But that seems to be the grease that makes the wheels turn in our ability to actually process that. Uh, and so for me, I've seen a great benefit to that in my life and in my friendships. And uh, hopefully that's something that my friends and family and coworkers have noticed over the years uh, is that doesn't mean I'm going to be less opinionated. That's just, you know, me. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I think just holding the relationship and the interaction as a higher value than correctness, uh, I think has been a good, a good shift. It's it's funny you say that because I will tell you I don't know if I've told you this before but one of the the moments I realized I really liked you like I really admired and appreciated you we were sitting at a Starbucks at right perfect spot and <laughs> we were sitting at Starbucks and we had just met maybe this is the second time we had like intentionally had conversation together. We'd seen each other at conferences and stuff, but we're sitting there and we start talking about some of, some of the theological divides that we were experiencing in our workplace and just how people were, you know, sort of polarized around some issues and, and trying to think about ways we can heal some of those wounds. And you off the bat, you like completely said, you know, this, you said something like, you know, Michael, this is, this is what I believe. And then you went on and shared your sort of framework and at the end of it, you said, but you know what? I worry that I'm wrong. As much as I believe this, I also worry the other way could be true too. And the one thing I don't want to do mm -hmm. is do harm. But I have to also be honest with what I actually believe in this moment. And I, I just, it was one of the most, I've told that story to lots of people. Um, I, I didn't credit you because I didn't want to out you that you're vulnerable, but, and <laughs> vulnerable. Thank you. Thank and, you. <laughs> I want, you to keep, I, I want you to keep that pharisaical. Really you know, you got this. You got this image. You got to uphold this Pharisee. Um, but I, you know, I, I just like this guy. This guy's real. Like I can deal mm -hmm. with that. We, we, at the, I think at the moment, we, it was something we didn't necessarily agree on. Um, but, uh, but there was this room to have this conversation, and there was this room to have to to realize that both of us are likely wrong, um, or at least incomplete, and and that that gave us space to have a relationship. And so I think you're, you're right on that, that ability to sort of step back and realize that certainty is an idol and it's something that can never be obtained. Hearing this story, first of all, that doesn't surprise me about Eben. Uh, <laughs> hearing the story that, I mean, Eben, you are one that, um, both are bold in your beliefs and um you know my typical both and and uh you recognize that you don't know everything and that you want to gather new information and possibly even change your mind at times and hearing that story as we're in the holiday season and we're going to sit around lots of tables um for all sorts of reasons um even like workplace uh, holiday gatherings are coming oh, yeah. back. Ooh. I mean, those are, I tried to schedule something and I'm like, I have too many workplace gatherings um, that, that we're going to be around tables with people that think a lot differently from us. And there's going to be misinformation and disinformation going around. And it makes me wonder like, what can we glean from this conversation today? Or that example of what Evan modeled, uh, what can we glean from that going into these holiday weeks as misinformation and disinformation pops up? 
How do you think we can stay in dialogue around tables with people? I think just by Evan's example, let's all pull an Evan this holiday season and just say, you know what? I, I could be wrong. And you don't have to necessarily that like verbalize it, but I think going into a setting and saying, you know, I'm, I'm, there's a phrase in continuous improvement work that we do. That's, that's, I'm probably wrong. It's definitely incomplete. So the idea that, that the solution we come up with to improve a system is absolutely no, not the perfect solution. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a pretty good chance that it's just the wrong solution altogether. And when you enter into a, a, the reason we frame it that way is one, because we believe it's true, but also it's, it changes the way we think about solutions. Like we start to try to improve things. We become less critical of them. We're more curious about why they're not working. It, it creates a different way of thinking and approaching it. In the same way, if we go into these holiday parties, into these family get togethers, where you know, you're going to be put in rooms with people that you're just like, Oh gosh, I never heard anything like this before in my life. What do I do? Um, is if you come in and you're like, you know what? I'm probably, wrong i'm probably wrong about this and i'm definitely i don't have a complete view or understanding of this then it reframes you to be a little bit more curious with these people and less critical of them because that's what i go with my my go-to coping mechanism is i'm gonna be like what in the hell are you thinking like i'm just critical like what in the where did where did you get this as opposed to like a more curious stance of like tell me what you mean by this and how did you come to get to believe that like who who influenced you in that like you then you start to build a relationship that's based on an you know on curiosity and not critique and what you'll see my experience is when you encounter into that you start to get the same thing back from them because they start to model what you're doing and that could just change our dinners we had done an episode before on um from critique to curiosity and i wonder how our conversations not only you know we might not have all the information we could be wrong what would it be like if we went into conversations uh giving people the benefit of the doubt that what they're sharing could be misinformation and not believing that they're coming in attempting to bring disinformation that that if they don't if the facts that they're they are perceiving that they're sharing are not fully accurate what if we start believing that they're not doing that purposely and they just happen to hear that and believe that that source is trusted without gathering more information how i would feel really different if i believed that everybody talking about something uh they just got a bad case of the of the game telephone rather than them trying to purposely be uh take people down or be ugly towards others i, I yeah i mean for me uh, i i think i've shared this on, on the show before is that i when i encounter those kinds of people i always like my my refrain in my head is okay evan's grandmother taught him this and if evan's grandfather grandmother taught him this belief that I don't agree with. I have a little bit Other more sensitivity. Other grandma, grandma. Yeah, not 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 the good one. Not the good one. The other one. <laughs> I love that you chose an example. We're not talking about you, Evan's grandma. <laughs> I know. All right, Lindsay's grandma taught her this belief. And and I don't necessarily agree with it. But, but when I put it to a grandmother... Then I know my grandmother taught me stuff. Both of my grandmothers taught me things that were not that I found to not be true anymore that I disagree with. But I have a real sensitivity to that. And if you come at me hard uh, and real critical of what my grandmother taught me, I'm going to be reactive and defensive. But if you start asking me questions and you, you're, you're curious and I start to tell you, well, you know, I really think about this because my grandmother always taught me this i grew up in this kind of family i my community looked like this right so it's not really the grandmother it's like it's about your story that i've come to believe this based on all these influences that i've had in my life and that's a very different thing than trying to prove them that they're factually wrong because you will never convince them of the facts if they if the what you're up against is a family story a community story 
But but if you become curious and you start understanding and seeking understanding about where they learn, then you can build a relationship that open them to a different kind of experience that might shape their outcome belief differently. Yeah, to relate it directly to your information and misinformation and yeah, disinformation. <laughs> Hi, Grandma. Uh, I think the quality of the content is as important as what the content says. Uh, and there's a concept called intellectual honesty that I really like, and I'll read a quick definition. Intellectual honesty says that facts are presented in an unbiased manner and not twisted to give misleading impressions or to support one view over another. References or earlier work are acknowledged where possible and plagiarism is avoided. I, I just like the concept of intellectual honesty because a lot of the time, a lot of our arguments and fractures in relationship don't necessarily come from the content. They come from us abandoning any sense of intellectual or theological honesty. And it requires a level of empathy, humility, and compassion to focus on intellectual honesty. Uh, but if but if the process of coming to a conclusion is not intellectually or theologically honest and that it's not consistent or doesn't have a solid framework, what are we even talking about? Uh, and so I have found that some of my most meaningful conversations and relationships that have been able to stay over the course of time have been because the inherent discussion about the intellectual and theological honesty of the process of the conversation that we're having uh, is the framework that builds into an honest discussion that I feel more heard. I'll just speak for myself. I feel more heard. I feel like uh, relationships are formed, that there's a little more give and take because we have to evaluate, okay, is this an, is this belief intellectually and theologically honest? And we're evaluating the belief at the center of the table. We're not evaluating each other. Uh, so the separation of uh, a, a belief system from an actual person, uh, I think is an important distinction for where I have really just seen a lot of joy and fruit uh, of God moving in my life and relationships that I have and the discussions uh, that that take place. It helps yeah. get away from the gotchas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I was just, you made me think about, I've got some friends who, who come out of the sort of apologetics framework of, of, of faith of theology, which is apologetics is basically how to how to argue, use logic and philosophy to justify biblical beliefs. And they they come at the the view of their role is to convince people that faith exists using logic and rationality and philosophy, certain philosophers. And and have always what's always bothered me about that is that it's a the 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 purpose of it is to change their minds. And what I think I hear you suggesting is if we came at life about building relationships and together, because we had a meaningful relationship, we minds could be changed. Then that creates, that's a different type of faith sharing and relationship as opposed to the purpose we, we're around and exist is just to change people's minds that you may get the same you, you may get some some minds changed, but to do it in relationship with each other and with community is a healthier and a more real way of experiencing change than just being convinced that you're wrong. So I just really want to say I appreciate Lindsay clearing up for us misinformation and disinformation and spin today. And then just basically you got the world fixed. Thank you for, you know, it was real easy just to. A few quick definitions, and it's going to be real simple for us to never share wrong information ever again. We did and it. We're going to we just be, it. and we're just going to be kind to everybody else when they do as well. We're going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, and it's I'm going to never be, gonna be lovely and again. It's going to be lovely and easy, and everybody's holiday meals are going to be super positive. I believe in us. <laughs> But they're not going to be too healthy because I read an article this week that you can't be too healthy because it on Thanksgiving because it's going to train your kids to think too healthy, too much about their body image. So here's some more information to share. share with you. Oh, no. 
I yeah, literally yeah, read that article. It's be... like, oh my god, you just never can be right. <laughs> there are always areas we can grow when we learn new information about how things impact people. That's perfect. Well, thank you for uh, all the fun new tips and tricks that I'm going to get to try as I try and work up the energy to actually vet some of the information that I consume and work uh, being a less selective consumer of information and a more discreet consumer of information. Maybe that's the pivot that I'm going to be working on. Um, thanks to Justin Patton to produce this episode and did all the music. And thank you, you listener. Listeners like you make this happen. So we're so grateful for you. We hope that you are doing well, and we look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Lindsay, Michael, you want to say bye-bye? So long, my friends. Hope you continue to have a good holiday season, everybody. I thought Michael was maybe going to do a British accent to close it out. Full circle. Well I hope they Cheerio. Let, me, let, Cheerio. Me my, let me get my <laughs> butler to do it real quick. <laughs> Bye, everybody. I'm sorry for all my friends in London that are just offended by my terrible British accent, but there we go. That's what it is. Have a great one.